You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. We're talking this month about the law of continuance, and I'm taking my text, and I won't read it every day, but uh, at the beginning of the week, I'm going to read it. It's Philippians 1, 6, uh, King James Version, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not just something that is written to us, it's a characteristic of God. He does it with everything. Everything that he begins, he has the intention of finishing it. And the reason is because God doesn't begin anything that he doesn't have the strength enough to complete and the knowledge to complete. God has all knowledge and he has all power, so he doesn't begin anything with hopelessness, hoping only that it will work out right. So from the very beginning, when man first fell in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, God said to the serpent and ultimately to the being who was behind the power of the serpent, which was Satan, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so it's a veiled statement. It's a statement with hidden meaning because if you sat down to think about this, you would know right away, wait a minute, a woman does not have seed, so how can the woman um, have seed that will crush the head of the serpent? And, uh, you know, if we don't think about some of the poetic language and if we don't think about uh, how things work, uh, we, we might completely gloss over what God said there, miss the prophetic meaning. This idea that a woman will have seed implies some sort of supernatural birth. That's what it implies. Uh, the woman is the one who receives the seed. So really, if you compared this to a farmer and the farm that he farms, the soil that he has, the woman is like the soil. She receives the seed, and he's the one who scatters the seed. And so uh, the woman then does not have seed herself. She receives the seed. So this is a veiled prophecy, and it's the earliest prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, Genesis 3.15. Now, it was hidden And the way that God did this was to hide the whole of his plan from the powers of darkness uh, because he knew how much they would withstand it. And he wasn't concerned about it for himself and for his own sake because God's certainly able to overcome anything. But but he was concerned about the people through whom this had to come. And so for their sakes, for our sakes, God hides things so that we're not just obliterated by the enemy because God doesn't tell everything he's going to do in us. And he gives us information on a need-to-know basis. You know, most of the time, the leading and the guidance that you get is for a step, sometimes two steps, ahead of where you are. And uh, so God will give you enough information for you to go to work and to do what you need to do. There are times when your step ends, 
and you have nowhere to go. So in those cases, you do what the children of Israel did. And this is what God told them. On the shores of the Red Sea, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. So there are times that all you can do is to stop and wait for the next step to come. God always brings a next step. And if you have to stop and wait for that next step, it is usually because God is about to set a trap for the devil. And so it may put a little pressure on you, uh, but it's nothing by comparison to what's about to hit the enemy. Now listen to what 1 Corinthians 2, 8, the second half of the verse says. For had they, the princes of this world, known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This means that the plans that God has for us were hidden. The crucifixion was hidden. The crucifixion was something that Satan walked right into. All of those people who were yelling and screaming and they were filled with hatred and they said, crucify him, crucify him. They were being egged on by demonic powers. Satan was behind all of this. He thought he could use them to snuff out the Messiah. He also thought that if God uh, uh, sent the Messiah and Israel's people uh, were partly responsible for killing him and rejecting him, then surely there's no way that God could ever have mercy on them. So uh, Satan completely muffed it here. And by the way, it wasn't just a few people in Israel who rejected Messiah. We all were responsible, all of us, me, you, we all were responsible for his death because our sins had to be paid for. So the crucifixion then was a victory that was disguised as a failure. It looked as though it was a failure. Jesus' disciples thought it was a failure. That's why they were so distraught. Uh, they were downtrodden. The night of the, the resurrection, they were still not sure what had happened. And they weren't in a joyous mood. And you can see, they thought the whole thing was over. Now, so a woman has no seed, so the only time in the history of the world where a woman conceived a child without the seed of man is the virgin birth. And it's described by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And when God uses this term sign, he talks about a supernatural work. It's a supernatural work that signals something. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Even when it happened, only certain people knew it. Mary knew it, of course. Joseph knew it. And uh, Simeon and Anna knew it in Jerusalem at the temple when Jesus was brought in to be presented to the Lord. They knew that this was a manifestation of the virgin birth. But God did something here to completely muddy the water and to confuse the enemy and to throw him off and to send him down a wild goose chase. Uh, you know, years ago we were playing a game at a youth camp called Capture the Flag. And uh, in those days, I loved to do something. When we picked up sides, I never really wanted to pick the best players, the best guys for my team. I, I, there, to me, there was no pleasure in winning if I was supposed to win with all of the best guys. I wanted to pick the guys that, that nobody else wanted, and, and I wanted to see if I could win with those guys. 
And so I had a whole bunch of these little guys who couldn't run very fast. And I don't know if you're familiar with the game, but you eat, you have two groups of guys in the dark. They have a territory. There's a border right down the middle. In our case, we had a wonderful border. It was a creek. And uh, some places it was dry, some places it was full of water. But we had this creek that was the border between our two areas. And so if we're on our side, we can grab any of the opposing players and uh, immediately take them to jail. Uh, but the idea is we've got to go to the enemy's territory, find out where he put his flag to see if we could capture it. So this is what I did. I had a bunch of little guys that I knew could not outrun anybody. I knew that if they did help me capture the flag, uh, that it was not really going to amount to much. So this is what we did. I told these little guys, I want you to go right over here to the border, and I want you to cross the border about every five minutes and make the biggest fuss you can make. Yell, scream, and all that. And stay there till you see the, the guys from the other side coming at you. When they start chasing you, you rush back across the creek and don't let them catch you. And just keep doing that the whole time. Meanwhile, I took a few of the fastest guys I had, and we belly crawled in the dark completely around the other team and got into this dark area where we could see their flag. And I waited for my little guys to rush across that creek, and they did. And when they came across that creek, we jumped up and ran after that flag. We grabbed it, and I jumped off of the creek bank, and it was about seven, eight feet in the air, and landed down in the water and I lost the flag. I was surrounded by all these other guys, and I lost the flag. And one of my little guys came up to me with a grin in his eye, and he lifted up just barely out of the water. He lifted up the flag, showed me he had it. Then he calmly walks over the bank, starts waving it. We won the game. Now, that's what God did. God captured the flag on the enemy, completely fooled him. And uh, he did this amazing thing by throwing off the enemy. Now, here's what the devil thought would happen. He thought that the Messiah would be born through the house of David. He would have to come from one of Israel's kings. So what he did is he targeted the kings of Israel, and then when the country split, uh, it was Judah that carried the line of David. He targeted these guys. He sent them every kind of temptation, every kind of test. The pressure to compromise was unreal. And they did over and over again. And so uh, uh, God had said to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So it looks as though God is saying to David, uh, no matter what, one of his offspring will always be on the throne of Israel. All right, now... In the, the Bible says in 1 Kings 2, 1 and 4, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, If your children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. And so it looked as though that David would always have a, 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 an heir on the throne of Israel. But then his family became so wicked, impossibly wicked, 
that the prophet Jeremiah comes along and puts a curse on the line of David. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 22, 30. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. This is Yehoi Hakim, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man, pay attention to this, of his seed shall prosper, setting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Wow. This really looked tough because God had said to David, you'll always have a man, an heir, to sit on the throne. But then Jeremiah comes along and says, no more will the seed sit on the throne. And the, the particular seed he was talking about is the royal line of David's house, Jehoiakim. And, and when Jeremiah cursed him, then uh, his son tried to reign for three months, but he was uh, completely powerless because the Babylonians controlled him. And then after that, no more again did any of David's line biologically sit on the throne. None of that royal line did. Now, you know who was of the royal line? Uh, the, the royal line was Joseph. And Joseph couldn't be the king, nor could any of his fathers for 14 generations in the book of Matthew. None of Joseph's fathers could be the king. But when Jesus was born to Mary, born of a virgin, something totally different happened. I'm going to explain all this in tomorrow's podcast, so don't you dare miss it. We'll pick it up then, and I hope you'll join me. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.